Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Church. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to know more about our ministry, you can find us on social media or visit us at harvestak.com. We pray that the message would encourage you and challenge you to grow in your faith with Jesus Christ. Enjoy the message. Well, I got to practice on the first service, so hopefully this should be a little easier. (laughs) So I was looking around our house the other day, and I had a thought. For many people, a house is just a shelter. It keeps them warm, or at least hopefully, mostly warm and dry. For some, a house is a home, a place they feel comfortable, safe, where the heart is, as the saying goes. And for some, a house is a blessing. For us, it is most definitely the latter. Consider the following. When I placed an offer on the house, there was another offer already in. By the grace of God, they chose mine. The amount I paid for it after some killer first-time and low-income homebuyer programs was $115,000. It was appraised at $139,000. Closed on my then-fiancé's birthday, by the way, so I figure I'm set for life. (laughs) (laughs) The previous owner was leaving town prior to closing, so they offered me early occupancy for a dollar a month. I could move in and occupy the house until closing completed. The largest issue that people state with home ownership is the maintenance costs. You have to take care of the place rather than being able to just call a landlord. For us, there have been no major maintenance expenses for the last 12 years. The location is nearly ideal by some standards. Close to the free babysitting, I mean Rebecca's parents, (laughs) and minutes away from the hospital. Of course, you hope you never need the hospital, but if you do, it's nice to know it's right there. And it's also you know, located right off of the major thoroughfares of the town, making it easy to get around. The two lots on one side of us were undeveloped. So when we needed more space, rather than having to move, we were able to simply purchase the empty lots and expand. The total cost was comparable to getting a larger house, but without having to move and allowing us to design it to exactly fit our needs and be brand new to boot. Of course, that whole process had its own share of blessings involved, but that's another story. Finally, the house is situated such that it is ideal for solar panels, which we just recently had installed. These will not only pay for themselves in around seven years, but will continue to provide free power for another 25 or 30 years after that. And if that isn't enough of a blessing, a minor misunderstanding on my part during the process of getting them resulted in the company giving me a free upgrade to a higher level panel just because I messed up. <laughs> Please don't get any ideas. <laughs> then also, there's you know, the 26% tax credit if, for getting them installed this year. So yeah, our house has been a real blessing. And to think, when I was first looking at pictures of the houses to buy, I'd looked at that one and said, nah, I don't like it. Thankfully, my real estate agent said, oh, there's this really cute house you have to go see. And the rest is history. <laughs> So my favorite part about uh, that testimony is that he, um, he made a mistake and was blessed yeah. for making a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I just love it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Sort of reminds me of the story of my life. <laughs> How God was able just to take a big mistake and somehow improve on it. 
It's amazing, really. Anyway, thank you, Israel. You did a great job. Um, it's encouraging. I think it's great to hear from time to time just real life stories, you know, real life stories and um, see God in, in action in, in real life, so to speak, day-to-day life. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. Let me just uh, speak a word of blessing over our gifts this morning. The Lord is so good to us. He has provided for us. Um, even through this crisis, if you want to call it that, um, we are, we're going strong. And the Lord has provided every step of the way. Amen. And I believe that's true in, in your own personal life as well as for the church uh, in general. But God is so good to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for your abundance. We thank you, Lord, that you are a giving, generous God. And we thank you, Father, that we all have partake, taken of your blessings and we appreciate it. And we worship you this morning. And we're thankful that we have uh, enough to sow. Sow into the kingdom of heaven. Sow into the church. Sow into the plan of God. And we do so joyfully knowing that what we sow will produce fruit and produce a harvest. And we thank you that that harvest will spread even across the world. But certainly affect our town. Certainly affect our personal lives. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Many of you have been here over the last couple of weeks when we have uh, covered uh, ministry. We've been talking about ministry, and this is in line with what I believe God has given to this church as a mission. And the, the mission is simply this, equip the saints. Uh, it's from the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Uh, that particular passage talks about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, Sometimes we call the work of the ministry just service or simply ministry. So if you hear those words, that's what I'm referring to. So that is uh, essentially what we're all about, what we want to do. We want to see people equipped with the gifts that God has given them to do the work of the ministry. And another main passage that I've been using to base this teaching on is from 1 Peter uh, chapter 4 and verse 10. I just love this particular verse because it captures in a nutshell exactly uh, what the Lord has placed upon my heart to communicate to our church. So uh, this particular verse says that each one of us has received a gift and we should use those gifts to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. And so God has given each one of us a gift. Uh, we've gone over this multiple times. We know this. We realize that there's really no excuse. We can't say, no, he overlooked me. We know that God has given each one of us a gift, and in some cases, more than one, right? Uh, however, today we'll look and see that we actually have need in each other. So there is no such thing as, as one person, one human being that absolutely uh, has control of all the gifts. Um, that would be Jesus Christ himself, right? And Jesus Christ alone. But none of us will have all of the gifts manifested all of the time, etc. But God is very generous. He's given us these gifts and he's told us that we're supposed to use these gifts to serve one another. So uh, today what we're going to take a look at is really what I'm calling the heart of service or the heart of ministry. And when you think of the word heart, 
maybe a better way to think of it would be to think of core. We're not necessarily talking about the physical organ that pumps blood and circulates it around inside the body, although we are to some degree. But for the most part, we're talking about core, the most essential thing. And so today we're going to be taking a look at the most essential principle of ministry. The thing is, is as human beings, we can get caught up in busyness. We can get caught up in all the details and forget what the very core value is. We haven't touched on it yet. So if you're wondering, ah, I wonder what is that? Uh, you'll learn today. That's the purpose of the sermon. I want to communicate that to you very clearly. And when the core value is soundly in place, it will make all of our ministry activity that much more effective and rich. It will really uh, cause us to be a blessing to other people. So uh, we've also taken a look over in the book of 1 Corinthians at some of the passages here. For example, last Sunday, we touched on the principle that when we use our gifts, we should use them in an orderly and decent fashion, right? If we do, then they will be truly a blessing and a source of edification or building up for other believers. And really that involves respect, respecting others. Um, it involves respecting their gifts and allowing them the time and space to use their gifts, etc. So we know uh, that it's important and it's God's will that all of these gifts operate in order, in an atmosphere of peace. So keeping that in mind, let me just kind of give you a recap of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and also chapter 14. Because right between these two, we will find the core or the heart of ministry. Now, if I was to ask you, what is the main topic of 1 Corinthians 13? Some of you are in the know. If you are, what would you say? Love, Love right? So, um, hence the crocheted heart in the corner of the screen, representing love. I'm letting the cat out of the bag already. So the heart, the core value of ministry is love. It's not work itself, right? Work is motion, it's activity, it requires energy, it requires guidance on all of that. But the main motivation is not just work itself for its own sake, but it's love. Amen? And so we're going to take a pretty close look at that and what that means today. But let me show you how uh, amazingly God has placed love right between. He's, he's placed love in an envelope of ministry. He's, re, he's placed it right in the middle of a description of the gifts and ministries that are available to the body of Christ and how those gifts should be administrated, etc. But love should be in the very middle. So just to kind of recap chapter 12, and I'm in 1 Corinthians, by the way. Let me just read you a few verses. Now, I wish I could read the whole chapter to you. That would be better. But for sake of time, we'll just take a few uh, sample verses. So starting with verse 27, towards the end of the chapter, it says this. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 
And keep in mind that the body of Christ is not the only descriptive of of the church that we have in God's word. Uh, Sometimes the church is described as, for instance, uh, the bride of Christ. Um, Sometimes it's described as a family. It has been described as God's flock, like a flock of sheep, for example. Um, Sometimes it's referred to as a building, a temple. Uh, The Apostle Paul even called it God's field or garden. So when it talks about, when the Bible talks about the church being a body, it doesn't necessarily refer to some biological mass. Um, It's simply pointing out an aspect of the church that's similar to the human body. And I think that the main aspect it's pointing at is this. There's great diversity in the human body, so many different parts. I was thinking this morning of how each one of our hair follicles differs from the other, right? Each one is different. If you were to analyze each strand of your hair uh, under a microscope, you could differentiate easily between the two or however many you have strands of hair, right? And furthermore, God knows exactly how many hair hairs are on our head, right? But the point is, is that there are literally thousands of different parts in our body. They're different from one another, and yet they're essential to one another. Correct? So they rely on one another, and they rely on the supply that each part supplies. And there is definitely a reason. I don't believe that God created anything that is useless. I really do believe that. And we've talked about this before that sometimes, especially in the past, science would take a look at a particular organ and not understand what its function was. And so they would say, well, there's really no point to this. We can cut it out if we need to. But then come to find out that organ is actually extremely important, right? And it's necessary for balance. Uh, And the whole body needs it. So when the Bible calls the church a body, it's pointing out that there's a great variety within the body, and yet all of these organs, if you will, or people, gifts, work together for the common good, for a common goal. Amen? So that's what he's pointing out here by calling it a body. And then he goes on to say, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets. Notice these are different ministries. Uh, Third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. So here we see some of the variety, the great variety within the body of Christ. And again, it's important to realize that even though we may possess a certain gift, and we do because the word tells us each one of us has received a gift, our gift does not invalidate somehow someone else's gift or mean that we don't need someone else's gift. You see what I'm saying? Just because you have a gift doesn't mean that you don't need other people's gifts. You do, because you're part of a body, right? And so uh, it goes on to say, are all apostles, again, he's pointing at the variety here, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. So how should we answer each one of these questions that he poses? What is the understood answer? Are all apostles? Well, apparently not, correct? 
uh, you know, and we could imagine what it would be like if every single one of us was an apostle. <laughs> um, I, I don't know what a church like that would look like, except that there would be much contention, yeah. right? <laughs> because each one would know what direction that we all need to go in, but nobody would agree with them. So <laughs> there would be utter confusion and, and so forth. But thankfully, we're not all apostles or all prophets or what have you. Now, if you'll allow me to uh, take a side trail for just a minute, uh, I, I love to do this when I have the opportunity because I think that there's been some confusion about this topic in the past, not at Harvest Church, but perhaps you've run across the argument that when it says, do all speak with tongues and we understand the answer to be no, do all interpret no, this has led some to feel, therefore, that not every believer can or should speak with tongues. Have you ever heard that explanation before? And so it causes us to scratch our heads and say, well, I don't understand that. Or at worst, say, well, see, then I guess it's not for all believers. But let me just give you some context here. So do all speak with tongues and do all interpret? Notice that one follows the other. And also he's talking about the body of Christ and ministries within the body, okay? So let me differentiate for you between private prayer and ministry to the body. When you are privately in communication with the Lord, you're not necessarily directly ministering to the body of Christ. You may be praying on their behalf. Do you understand what I'm saying? You might be interceding for someone. You might be lifting up their needs or whatever. But you're not communicating to a person. True prayer is always directed to the Lord. Or it's God communicating to you. But you understand what I mean. It's fellowship with the Lord. That's fairly simple to understand, isn't it? So prayer is not... Um, an address to the body, it's an address to God. If I'm talking to you, it's not prayer. Does that make sense? That sometimes for some reason startles people, but it's not. I don't call our conversations prayer. I do call my conversation with the Lord prayer, right? So it has to do with to whom I'm speaking. So here he's talking about gifts to the body, ministries to the body. So the tongues that he is talking about here are not private communication between the believer and God. But it is when God gives a word in tongues for the church through a human vessel. Did that make any sense at all? So there are times when the Holy Spirit will inspire someone with the gift of tongues to give a tongue that is meant for the church. It is not prayer to God. It is God communicating to the church through a person. However, we understand that when that tongue is given, it needs to be interpreted or the church won't understand it. Correct? Now, we have to differentiate between that and our private communication with the Lord. In our private prayer life, we don't need uh, to interpret anything for God because he understands us. He doesn't need an interpreter. Yes? But we do as people. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of meaningless sound. We don't understand what's being said. So there are some that possess the gift of giving a tongue. There's some that can interpret. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul said, If you speak a tongue, pray that you may also interpret. Amen? So you can actually ask the Lord for that, and you should. 
um, in my own life and ministry, I've done that many times where either I will give a tongue or someone else gives a tongue and I interpret it. So it's a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit. However, and I can't get off on this for too long, but it does operate as do all things in the kingdom of heaven by faith. So it's not as if you hear the tongue, if you're an interpreter, for example, and you hear that someone is given a message, you might not get, you know, a whole huge speech immediately, maybe just a word or two. But as you start in faith, then the Holy Spirit will communicate it to you and you'll be able to go on. So praise God. I hope that that brings some clarity here. So do all speak with tongues? Is he saying then that not every believer can pray in tongues? I do not believe that that's what he's saying. In fact, I believe it's God's will for every believer to pray and furthermore pray in the spirit. Why should there be any uh, special control on that kind of prayer as opposed to any other kind of prayer? The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. Amen? And praying in the spirit, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, is a phenomenal way to pray. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to give you utterance and speaking out of your spirit. Paul said, when I speak in tongues or I pray in tongues, my spirit prays. Amen? Well, I can't imagine a more wonderful prayer than that. I would like a prayer that is birthed by the Spirit, given to me by the Spirit, and the Spirit helps me express it. I am assured when I pray, therefore, in the Spirit, that I'm praying according to God's will because it's Spirit-inspired. You know 100% of the time. Why is that important? Now I'm off on tongues. I didn't even want to. I wanted to talk about the heart of ministry. Because First John chapter 5 tells us, we know that if we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us. And we know that if God has heard us, we will have, we will receive those things that we have asked of him. I mean, you can tell easily how important it is to pray in line with God's will then. And so I am absolutely convinced that when I'm praying in the spirit, I am praying according to God's will. And I know that God will hear me and that he will answer. Amen. Praise the Lord. So um, I believe that this is not limiting prayer in tongues. It's simply saying that not every believer has the gift to deliver a message in tongues to the body. Now, here's another thing that we have to keep in mind, though, and it's beautiful. The Bible tells us that we should and can desire spiritual gifts. Amen? So, I think that that plays a very big part in this. If you have a desire in your heart to bless the body of Christ with a particular gift, ask the Lord, talk to the Lord about that. Uh, I think that, that it is his good pleasure to bless you with, with the gifts that you desire. But anyway, so these couple of verses kind of gave us a, a good idea of what he talked about in uh, chapter 12. He talked about different ministries. He talked about how they function, how they're interrelated, how they have a common goal, how they are under the common headship of Jesus Christ, right? So talking about ministry... But then all of a sudden, he's going to hit at the very core of ministry. Listen, the core is the core. Without the core, nothing is going to work right. <laughs> By the way, that's true, if you want to know it, about the human body. The core is far more important than we think. <laughs> okay, 
and uh, the core needs to be strengthened. It holds everything else together. So he goes on in chapter 13, and of course he talks about love. We'll get to that in just a minute, but let me show you the other side of the envelope. It's chapter 14. So he talks about love, and then he goes back to spiritual gifts. And in particular, he's going to put his finger on tongues and prophecy. And he wants those gifts to be expressed. He wants to explain what they are, first and foremost. And then he wants us to know how they're supposed to operate within the church. And he gives us um, guidelines concerning that. And then we'll just hit the last verse of this chapter, uh, because I really think that it hits it pretty much the the basic message of chapter 14, and it says all things should be done decently and in order. Amen? So that's important to say because Christians throughout the ages um, have struggled with this. For some reason, when it comes to spiritual things, spiritual gifts and that sort of thing, we have a tendency to think that that means just unbridled, frenzied activity. And he's actually saying, hang on a minute. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, but there's also peace, (laughs) okay? Um, There's creativity, but at the same time, there's also order, right? And so where God is, we know that there is going to be order, and we see that even from the very first pages of the Bible where it talks about the days of creation. I would call that order, wouldn't you? So there was definitely uh, a succession of events there, and God did everything perfectly and in balance, and he said everything was good. So uh, here we have another discussion about gifts, how they are to operate within the local church. But in the middle of all these ministries and gifts and all of this, we have a shining heart of love. And that is absolutely key for the gifts and the ministries to operate as they should. So I remember, I don't know why um, this, what what I'm about to share is particularly related to things that have happened in my past. I just don't hear about them as often today as I did years ago. But there was a time I remember that uh, believers were very fervent about asking God, desiring the gifts, right? And the focus was, on the gifts. We want the gifts. We'll do whatever it takes to get the gifts. And what's interesting to me is that during that time, which by the way, again, it's very valid to desire the gifts and ask for them. Okay. I am in no wise putting that down. I think it's very important. We should ask God for the, for the, uh, former and latter rain, etc. We need the rain of the Holy spirit. We want the gifts. I just want to make that clear. And yet in that entire conversation, it is, it's as if people somehow forgot that Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, existed. And it somehow disappeared into a black hole and nobody was talking about the love of God. Here's what I believe. I believe the love of God is the key, the prime key to the ministries and the gifts without a doubt. In other words, let me put this to you in simple mathematical terms. If you want more gifts, you got to have more love, right? That is just the bottom line. So pursuing the gifts, desiring the gifts, focusing only on the gifts. But if we could just for a minute focus 
and keep our eyes on Jesus, the very express manifestation of God's love, we would see much more gifts and ministries. We would. Praise the Lord. So with that in mind, let me share this with you. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to go a little deeper here. Galatians chapter 5. And uh, let me uh, read verse 1 to you just to give a little context here. Because he's going to talk about freedom in verse 13, which is my goal. But one verse 1 will explain to us what freedom he's talking about. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So taking this in context... Uh, I think it would be fair to interpret the yoke of slavery in reference here to the law of Moses. Now, he's not saying that the law of Moses is inherently evil or wrong or whatever, um, but it had its purpose and its purpose was to bring us to Christ. But now that we are new creatures in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not living according to the law. We're living according to the Spirit and we're living by God's love. And see, love fulfills the law. Amen? Uh, so we have to understand it. And you can, uh, you know, uh, on your own time, read the, the book of Galatians. But the problem was, is that these people had been introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were being tempted to turn back again after becoming acquainted with Christ. They were tempted to go back to the law, back to the old ways. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging them not to turn back, but to go forward with Christ and live according to the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside, not to external rules and principles. Okay? So therefore, he's telling him, hey, Christ set you free. Don't go back again to the old yoke of slavery. Now, verse 13, for you were called to freedom. Freedom in Christ, freedom in the Spirit. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. He's leading you. And by the way, the gifts, the spiritual gifts, are manifestations of the Holy Spirit, right? So this new life in Christ opens the door to operating in the gifts of the Spirit. That's what he wants for them. Then he goes on to say this, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, and we're all susceptible to that. So we have to pay heed to what he's saying. But listen, but through love, serve one another. There it is. He's coming back to the very core of the matter. He's saying in service, the most important thing is love, right? It is the love of God that enables us to serve others. It is the very purpose of the gifts. How could I say that? Because gifts come to the body in response to a need. There is a need that the body has in the gifts. And God, because of his great love, gives a gift to meet the need. Are you with me? That's, we need prophecy. We need it more than we can imagine. We don't think we do and we're humming along without it. But we actually need prophetic words from the Lord. We need words of knowledge and wisdom. Someday, if you beg me, and I'm just kidding, you don't have to beg, but if you ask me nicely, I might share with you some insights I have about the word of wisdom and knowledge. But can I share just a few things today? Yeah. 
just give you a tiny little taste. So um, I have read plenty of books about the gifts, and I think that you probably have too. And a lot of times we'll see word of wisdom and then a big long explanation about it. And I was thinking one day, I wonder why the word of God itself doesn't give us a big long explanation about the word of wisdom. I want you to think about this really seriously. Think about it for just a minute. When he lists the gifts, he just says word of wisdom. Am I right about that? Now we've taken other places of scripture and said, well, there you see, there's a manifestation of the gift of the word of wisdom. But in those places, it doesn't say that. (laughs) Now, I want you to think even more. Can you? All right. So it's just me inferring that, well, this, whatever happened, was a manifestation of the word of wisdom. But that's just my opinion, essentially, because it didn't say that, that it was a word of wisdom. So one day, don't worry, I'm not going to tip the card over too drastically, but just listen to this. So one day I was meditating about the gifts and talking to the Lord about it and asked him, why didn't you give us more explanation? Why just word of wisdom and that's it? And you know what I heard inside my heart? Because it's just a word of wisdom. Now, listen, that probably didn't mean anything to most of you, but it meant a lot to me. What is a word of wisdom? It's a word of wisdom. (laughs) But no, Pastor David, the gurus say that it's a prediction of the future and all of this. The Bible said it's a word of wisdom. Do you need to complicate it? Sorry, don't get me started. I'll get wound up here. I'll march all over this church. (laughs) What about a word of knowledge? Well, Pastor David, the the very best have said that that only has to do with the past and present. I know, but it's a word of knowledge. And apparently it's God's knowledge because he's communicating it to us. And then I thought, is God's knowledge limited to just the past and present? I'm just asking you a question. You can't stop thinking or you'll stop growing. You see what I mean? There's nothing wrong with thinking about it at least. Am I right? And sometimes we limit these things and we cut off something that God's trying to communicate to us because our preconceived ideas say, well, no, 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 no. That doesn't fit that gift, you know, because it had an element of the future in it. So it wasn't, I don't, and we get all confused. It's just a word of knowledge. (laughs) Apparently, that's enough for us to understand what a word of knowledge is. It's a word of knowledge. (laughs) Whew, hallelujah. Now, somehow I've got to get back to my main uh, track of thought here. So, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, all of these things. But they're given to meet needs and minister life to people. Amen. And they're motivated. They are motivated by love. Hallelujah. That is the underlying principle. One time I was so challenged on this. Uh, A guest minister came to a church I was pastoring years ago. And he asked me a question that it just cut me to the quick. And he said, why are you standing up and ministering from the pulpit every Sunday? 
And I had done it faithfully for a long time, but I hadn't asked myself that question before. Why exactly am I doing this? I just do it because I do it, I guess. And he said, are you doing it just to share knowledge, for example, or just to get a message across? Or are you doing it to impress people? Or why are you doing this? And I thought about it and I thought, oh yeah, exactly. What, why am I doing this? And he said, you know, the only valid reason for doing it is because you love people. Are you listening to me? It's the only real valid reason you're doing it. The core central reason. Why are you doing this? Just because God expects you to, he's a harsh taskmaster. He wants you to check the boxes. You'll get a brighter crown in heaven. Why are you doing this? And think about God's motivation and God's plan. God so had to check that box. No, God so loved the world that he gave. Amen? It, it, it's, it's the key. It's the prime. It's the, it's the very heart of Christianity. It's love. Amen? Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it to impress God or make him love you more, answer your prayers faster? Or why? And the correct answer is, we're doing it because we love people. But do you? <laughs> I, that's what I was asking myself. Why am I, do I really love people? Or am I doing this just because I feel like I need to? Sometimes we can feel like a heavy burden, a heavy chain around our neck. And ministry should not be a heavy chain around our neck. See, Jesus said that his yoke was, and his burden was light, easy and light. My mentor in the ministry told me those are ministry principles. Ministry should be light and easy. That doesn't mean, now don't misunderstand, that doesn't mean there's never challenges or difficulties or you'll have to do things you don't like to do. But as a general rule, ministry should be light and easy. Well, then think of Christ's own ministry. I mean, he, went, he died on the cross. His ministry led him to that moment. That's not something that we think of as being light and easy, is it? And yet he did it willingly. And what motivated him? Again, it was love, right? And the Bible says he did it for the joy that was set before him. He endured the suffering of the cross. Amen? So clearly the Bible is not telling us that ministry is just a wonderful bed of roses all the time. Obviously, even in the head of the church's ministry, there were plenty of difficulties, right? And yet Jesus at the same time said, it is a joy, it's bread and meat, it's food to me to do the will of the Father. I delight in it. Amen? So even though you face external difficulties, inside your heart delights in what God has called you to do. So the question then is, okay, okay, you got me. Okay, I feel convicted. I know that I need to love more, but how can I do that? And so, so many people in the body of Christ are trying to force themselves to love other people. And they're finding it a very difficult task. <laughs> okay, this person's, okay, just me. I'm finding it a difficult task. Um, I know that you aren't, of course. So, 
how, how do we do that? How do we grow in love? How do we expand our capacity in love? Uh, and let me ask you another question too, just because I want the gears spinning. Um, is love something that can be forced artificially? Can you force it? Even the Beatles were smart enough to know that you can't buy love. <laughs> Some of you might know that reference. Okay. Can't. Can't buy it. It's not love if it is, right? It can't be forced. And that's one reason why God gave us freedom of choice, so that we would choose him. We would respond to his wooing of us. Amen? Uh, he wants genuine love. Not because we were programmed to love. Not because we have to. But because we want to. Amen? But how do you get the want to? That's the question, right? And so many Christians have beat themselves over the head about this and try to force themselves to love others and it doesn't work very well. And it's like trying to mix concrete with no water. You've got the sand and the cement and the rocks and everything, but if there's no water, it's a hard go, right? But we need to add some water. So what is it exactly? I'm going to leave you with this today. And I hope that it literally blesses your socks off and then back on again. <laughs> and please back on again, being the key there. Okay, 1 John chapter 4. And uh, I remember especially, I don't know why, but especially in, in, in my youth, in the youth ministry, hearing messages such as, you guys better love God. You don't love God. You don't love God enough. You better start loving God. And the problem with that is, is that we're all trying, but we just can't seem to, mm, we just can't do it. We can't produce that, right? We're trying and trying and trying, but somewhere along the line, the assembly in the plant is just not working right. So what do we do? Um, 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to read uh, from verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. That's what we're all desperately trying to do, right? But thank God the verse doesn't end there. And he goes on to give us some wonderful insights. For love is from God. I find that to be very important, don't you? In other words, I would say that it's not natural to a human being. It's something that's divine from God. It's given to us by God. Amen? It's not something that we produce in our bones. It's something that God gives to us going on. And whoever loves has been born of God. There's a key. That tells me that apparently you can't love with divine love unless you've been born of God. So that's number one. But I assume that most of us here probably are born again. You believe in Jesus Christ. You've accepted him as your savior. But then it goes on to say, and knows God. Now here's another aspect though. So it's one thing to be born of God, right? But here's another thing, to grow in knowledge of God. And this again is not something that just happens naturally. This is why in Ephesians chapter 1, the apostle Paul prays, that the believers would grow in knowledge of God, that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. 
Amen. It's something that the Holy Spirit gives you and he shows you the wonder of God and your heart longs for that. So it's a matter of knowing God. Amen. To love is to be born of God and then to know God. Keep going. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. So that we might live through him. The reason I paused is because I thought just in in a split second that it almost seems to me that he's equating the love of God with his son. In other words, it seems to me like he's saying they are almost one in the same. (laughs) And this is love. Okay, into the world so that we might live through him. Now here it is. Listen to this. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another and so forth. So, and this is love, not that we loved God. I think a large swath of the body of Christ is stuck right here, trying somehow to love God. But he's pointing, listen, you've got to go beyond that and realize this. Love is not in your efforts. It's in God's efforts. And he was so successful. He loved you so much to the end, ultimate love. He sent his son for you. Amen. How do I grow in love towards God and towards others? By reflecting and growing and increasing Uh, in God's love for me. Are you listening to me? And this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. It's a different direction. And it always starts that way because God's the originator. Amen? So God loved me. That enables me to love you and love myself. And listen, so many people need to learn to love themselves. Amen. How can I love myself? I know all of my aches and pains, my downfalls, my shortcomings, my wrinkles, etc. What can help me love myself? Knowing that in spite of all of that, God loves me so much. Amen. He puts so much worth upon me. Here's, here's something, it, it, it always grips my heart when I think about it, when I talk about it. I, I love saying it. God chose me. He chose you. Out of billions of human beings, he chose you. It's an amazing thought. You, so precious to God. The very apple of his eye. He's anointed you with his Holy Spirit. He wrote your name on his hand. He composes songs of joy that he sings about you. Isn't that amazing? You bring so much joy to the heart of God that he breaks out in song when he thinks about you. You're always on the mind of God. 
He has the capacity to think about you and all of his other beloved children. And he even notices when a sparrow falls from the sky to the ground. And he loves you so deeply and so strongly, regardless. And sometimes I I take a step back and I think about it and I wonder, why me? Why did you call me? Do you know yourself? Have you looked in the mirror recently? Have you seen all those imperfections? Have you seen the incompatibilities? Have you seen the untruths and all the mistakes and all of that? And yet in spite of it, God chose you. And he anointed you with the Holy Spirit. And he called you into his family. And he gave you his son, who is his most precious, precious, I don't even want to say possession, He is the most precious. Amen. And he counted you worthy of that. And he gave that to you. Amen. And so what happens when we start reflecting on the love of God and we start meditating, not on how much we love God. That seems to me to be a pretty fruitless avenue of meditation, but more along the lines of how much God loves us. And when we do, guess what happens? We become capable of loving ourselves and other people. Amen? Amen. We begin to see them through God's eyes and how much he values them. And it's not about just, I'm going to cram as much information down your throat as I can, but I love you and I want you to know what God says about you. Amen? I want your body to be healed. Not so that I can chalk up another victory and put another notch on my pistol, right? But because I want you to be well. Amen? I want you to be strong and healthy. I want you to have an excellent memory. Great recall. (laughs) Maybe some of us need that. I want you to have that kind of a mind. Amen? I want you to be successful. I want your life to matter. I want you to have great impact on people around you and circumstances around you. Amen. Hallelujah. God, he, 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 he gave it all. He gave it all for our good. Amen. He didn't withhold anything from us. He gave it all. We have to think about these things. This is worthy of meditation. And it is the very heart of ministry. Ministry eventually becomes mechanical. It becomes dry and methodical when love is not beating in its heart. Amen? It's missing. How how did we miss the love of God and all that talk about the gifts? I think that the gifts come as a result of God's love shining forth. Amen? It's love's response to that need, whatever it is. The gifts are God's love response to our needs. Hallelujah. I think the more we grow in love the more we see the gifts in manifestation. (laughs) Amen? It's not just about swinging from chandeliers and scooting across the carpet on our back. It's about 
meditating on how much God loves me <laughs> and how much he loves you. Amen? Let's read this one more time and, and we'll uh, stop. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I, I just love it. I love the word of God. I love how he gets to the very core of our problem because the greatest, the greatest, the greatest barrier between us and, God, and our understanding of God's love is our sin. And we think that somehow it stops God's love. And it does not. I wish you would have said amen there. Okay, let me, let me tell you, in other words, your sin is not greater than God's love. God's love is eradicates sin. Amen. It eradicates it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So that John the Baptist could say about Christ, here comes the Lamb of God who takes upon himself the sin of the world. Think about that. Great love. And so he says, here is love that God loved us, sent his son, who was the propitiation. He satisfied uh, God's justice in regards to our sin. And he counts us righteous because we believe in him. That's amazing to me. Not because we're perfect, because we're not. So God says, believe on my son, you'll be justified. And then to make matters even better, not worse, better, God gives us faith. <laughs> hey, believe on my son. By the way, here's some faith. <laughs> right? Hey, you should love these people. By the way, let me pour my love into your heart so that you can. <laughs> hey, you should, uh, you should manifest the spirit. Let me give him to you. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? The way God is. Some people have gotten up because all they focus on is love. You must love. And they forgot, well, God gave it to me. It's living in me. Amen. God loves me first. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like, subscribe, and share it out across social media. If you'd like to know more about Harvest Church, you can visit us at harvestak.com. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.